Welcome to the Citizens Youth Sermon Podcast. We are a ministry of Northwest Gospel Church and a community of students who are learning to live for Jesus. We meet every Wednesday at 7 p.m. To find out more, visit nwgospel.com slash citizens. Citizens! <laughs> Hello! Hello! Uh, okay, candidates for worst food, I want to see five options. Which ones had the worst food? Uh, the Hesse boys in the back, worst food. The mac and cheese. It's had a substance in it. A mac and cheese with a substance. I, I do not like that. Who's sitting next to Peyton? Who are you? Leah, what's the worst food? Vinegar on strawberries. Gross, gross. All right, who else? Who else? Uh, Michael. The chicken nuggets are bad. Ooh, I feel like that's illegal. <laughs> okay, one more, Aiden. Ooh, I think that takes the cake. Yogurt cup expired for one year. That is nasty, nasty. Okay, all right, good job, guys. All right. Um, hi, my name is Courtney. Thank you, thank you. Uh, you may or may not know me. Some of my middle schoolers, you do. Some of you have been around for a bit now. If you've been new recently, oh, here we go. Um, I've been hanging out with grown-ups, but I think the teenagers are the best, okay? So don't tell the grown-ups, okay? Um, but what we do right now is we're going to open this. So find a Bible. If you don't have one, find it in the seat back in front of you. Because I'm going to tell you to take this thing, hold this thing in the air. Yes, I have a spiny turtle on it my spiny turtle staring you down. Hold this thing in the air. More of you have phones than this. You know what I'm about to do. Hold this in the air. You all are liars with your pants on fires, okay? Hold your phone in the air and then just go like this. It will survive, I promise. <laughs> I have lost mine on the roof of a highway and it survived, okay? Don't tell me that your phone is broken, okay? Um, <laughs> All right, yes, right now we take time, we focus in, we dive into the word, uh, we put our phones away, your B-reels can be saved for later, okay? I know they can't, they're literally timely, whatever. Um, and we're going to dive into it. you ready? Okay, I have a question for you. Um, have you heard of a snap judgment? Do you know what I mean when I say that? A snap judgment? Snap judge? Not Snapchat. Uh, a snap judgment. Can anybody define this for me? Nobody? Nobody wants to define snap judgment? Is this a foreign word for you? Please nod your head if you know what I'm talking about. Shake your head if you do not know what I'm talking about. Wow, a lot of shaking of the head. Okay, snap judgment is when you like see somebody and you instantly make a decision about them, right? Oh, snap judgment, we're on it. Okay, uh, okay. Uh, thumbs up or thumbs down. Are snap judgments good or bad? Bad. I see some middle, some like halfway, semi-sad. Okay, uh, let me tell you a story about a snap judgment. Okay, once upon a time, uh, 2019, 18, 
18. Uh, <laughs> you know, like before COVID, it feels like nothing existed. Do you know that feeling? Okay. Um, okay, so 2018, um, around Christmas time, I went to go visit uh, Joel, who I was dating at the time. Uh, we are now married and have a child. That's crazy. Maybe you've seen him. He's kind of adorable. Um, he sometimes wears a little Eevee hat and runs around. Um, anyway, so I was visiting Joel. He lives in Maryland. And so that's kind of on the East Coast. I've never been anywhere on the East Coast. And so I really wanted to go see Boston, but they told me that was too far away. So I don't understand distances on the East Coast. Uh, so we're like, we're going to go see, we're going to go to New York. So we went to New York. And honestly, I'm not super a city person, but I'm just there for the food. Anybody else? I'm there for the food. Okay, so I, I just wanted a bagel. I wanted a really good bagel. Really good bagel. I wanted some pizza. And that's really all I cared about. Uh, and so we did it. Uh, we went and we got a bagel first thing off the train. It was really great. Uh, we went to uh, the pizza shop that was apparently featured in Spider-Man 2. My nerdy husband was like, ah! and I was like, mm. I almost dropped our pizza on the sidewalk, actually. That was the worst part of the whole thing, but I caught it. Anyway, um, and then uh, we're, uh, towards the evening, we're on our way for dinner, and we're walking the dark-ish. It's getting darker, and we're on our way to Chinatown, because apparently there's like a really popular Chinese restaurant that's like literally in underground. Like you had to go to this door and go down in the stairs, and there's like a huge long wait line. There's like nobody, I mean, there's like a small space, so everyone's trying to cram this tiny space pre-COVID. And so we're waiting in line. Anyway, we're on our way uh, to this restaurant, and this is a good time to use a snap judgment, okay? Because there are people on the street that you should just not make eye contact with. You know what I'm talking about? Like, there are people that you just should be like, "Mm, nope, you got to practice one of these, and you just keep going, right? And so we're literally walking through, like, the vendor slash black market section of, like, Chinatown, and everyone's trying to show us stuff, and legitimately, I didn't know this was real. But do you, have anybody seen the Hercules movie, the Disney Hercules movie? Please tell me you're not too young for that. Okay. And there's the moment where Hercules shows up in Thebes, and there's like some guy that's like, want to buy a sundial? Right? Anybody? Okay. It literally happened. I was like, this guy actually exists. He like, okay. I, I was like walking, and I'm like, the guy's there. He's got a big old trench coat. I don't want to know what's under the trench coat, so I'm just going to keep walking. And I like look around, and like Joel's missing. I was like, where is Joel? And I look back, and he's being accosted by this man going, want to buy a watch? And I'm like, ah! I'm like, gotta go save him. And I, because my poor, sweet, kind Joel cannot not make eye contact with somebody and ask them how their day is. And I'm like, you don't make eye contact with these people. You don't engage them at all. They're going to try to sell you stuff. Like, you just don't engage. And he's like, I just said hi. And he's like stuck with the watches. And anyway, so those are good moments to make snap judgments, okay? If you're walking along the street and there's like vendors trying to sell you stuff, just just don't. Just don't make eye contact with them. Uh, So there are moments, like I said, when making eye contact and avoiding it is, is actually an important thing. It could save you from stranger danger and a whole host of other things. Um, but sometimes I think we can uh, get a little too comfortable with making snap judgments, right? We begin to size people up by maybe what they're wearing that day or what, how they talk or the things that they do or the things that they participate in. Um, and, and really, the more uncomfortable we get with making these snap judgments, it just becomes automatic in our brain, right? And it, it becomes this thing where if somebody is different than us at all. We begin to be comparing and making these snap judgments. And, uh, and anyone who is different than us, we become more and more tempted to try to duck around or to avoid or to simply uh, not make eye contact with. Um, and, and really becomes a way of either 
like avoiding a conflict inside of us because we don't have to deal with something that maybe we don't know or we don't like. Um, and it really diminishes the other person. Um, and today we're going to read a story about that guy. He is the guy that everybody wanted to avoid. Like talking about like totally swerving him, like going around him, ducking him, like not making eye contact. We're going to read about that, the guy that absolutely nobody wanted to talk to ever. They didn't want to meet him. They don't want to make eye contact with him. And they did everything they could to avoid this person. Everyone avoided them except one person who made a beeline for them. And we're going to read that story today. We're here in Mark chapter 2. So open up your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark. Uh, Mark is the second gospel in the New Testament. So if you're not familiar with your Bible, just like go to the middle and then keep going. Well, it's like the last third of the Bible, I guess. Mark chapter 2, and we're going to start at verse 13 today. This is a, a pretty short story. Um, but it's pack, it packs a punch. There's a lot in there. Um, and so it's gonna, we're going to blow through it today. Mark chapter 2, verse 13. It says, He, that's Jesus, He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. So Jesus is obviously not the one that people are avoiding. Uh, Jesus has a huge crowd around him. Um, they're following me out to the sea. So today uh, we're zooming in on a scene at really the start of Jesus's ministry. So if you know anything about kind of how the gospels are set up, Matthew tells a nice long story. Luke has a really nice, um, like all the Christmas stories are found in Luke because Luke tells a lot about the baby stories. Mark, it's like, here's a story, get to the point. He just gets right to it. So chapter one, he's like, born, bam. And then he's baptized, bam. And then he goes in the wilderness and he's tempted, bam. And then he starts his ministry, bam. And like Jesus is like there, right? So we're, we're right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Like I said, he's already been baptized. He's been tempted by Satan in the wilderness. He's been healing tons of people. So he's healing sick people and uh, demon-possessed people. And he just, right before this passage, uh, healed the paralyzed guy on the mat through the roof. Um, and he's teaching, he's teaching the people all around him. And just like Mark over and over again talks about the crowds. It says, his fame spread everywhere. The whole city was gathered together. Everyone was looking for them. Uh, people were coming from every quarter. People are just surrounding Jesus because they've never seen such healing and such miracles happening. Um, and he, he's telling them about the kingdom of God. And we actually see his message in the most shortest fashion uh, in Mark 1, 15. His simple sermon, his simple message is this. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's right here. And he says, repent and believe in the gospel. This is Jesus' message as he is, he's, he's preaching, he's teaching about the kingdom of God, and he's saying repent and believe in the gospel. And then he's proving his words through many miracles. And so here we are again. And Jesus is about to teach them a real-life lesson. He's been teaching them by the sea. A big crowd is gathered. Uh, and now he's about to teach them a lesson in person. So uh, out at the seaside, you know, the seaside is a great place for uh, Jesus to teach crowds because they literally couldn't fit in rooms. There were so many people following him. And I don't know if you've ever been on a lake and you can, like, hear the noises everywhere. Or you know how at camp there's, like, technically a sound curfew? because all the neighbors will hear us shouting and stuff. Um, uh, so he likes to stand by the lake so everybody can hear him. They're by the Sea of Galilee, and uh, he's teaching, and then he gets done teaching, and this is what happens next. Mark 2, uh, verse 14. It says, And as he, Jesus, 
passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed them. So picture this scene with me. We're by the seaside. It's the Sea of Galilee. Lots of water, tons of people. I mean, a huge crowd. Think about a big concert or a fair or somewhere where you've seen where it just looked like ants are moving everywhere. There's this huge crowd by the sea. Uh, and there's one man uh, sitting on the road in a booth, and he is jazzed to see these crowds. He's like, what a lucky day. Look at all of these people that I get to tax. Because what Levi did all day is he sat by the road, and anybody who came by these important roads, he would uh, ask for money. And the government, you know, had a tax of this much money, and he would ask for this much money and then take that money, right? So nobody liked him. Uh, and he's, like, so excited. So many people on his road today, so many people to tax. And maybe he's like, man, why is there such a huge crowd today? Or, you know, what, what are they all going to? And, and who's this, this person that everyone's listening to? Or maybe he actually knew who Jesus was because as a tax collector on the main road, like he probably heard some whispers, some gossips. It says his fame has been spreading everywhere. He's probably heard of people being healed and, and demon-possessed people being healed. And, and so he is like realizing who this person is. And, and as the crowd maybe hushes and he's hearing Jesus speak, he's, he's, he's listening to the voice of the teacher you know, Jesus teaching about the kingdom of God and what it's like, what God's people are like, their compassion, their generosity, their care. And he's maybe he's preaching exactly what we heard in, in Mark 1.15, that he's calling people to repentance, to repent and to believe in the gospel. You know, and I could just see Levi going, <sighs> repentance. So is that even possible for a tax collector named Levi. Do you know how much of an oxymoron a tax collector named Levi is? You're like, no, I don't, because this is a foreign culture to me. Let me explain it to you. His name is Levi. Okay? You're like, wow. Okay. Levi, like a good uh, Jewish boy, uh, Levi was named after a famous ancestor. Okay? So we have uh, the big tribe of Israel, Okay, had one guy who was the start of it, and his name was, take your best guess, Israel. Okay, uh, if you said Jacob, bonus points, okay, because his name is Jacob, <laughs> bonus points. Uh, his name was Jacob, God changed his name to Israel, and Jacob slash Israel had 12 sons, which were the 12 nations of Israel, right? And these were God's people. It's the people that he called out by name. He actually get, told, him what, told them what his name was, and he told them, I will be with you. You will be my people. I will be your God. It's like Israel. It's God's people, right? And one of those sons, one of those tribes, his name was, take a guess, Levi. Yes, good job, guys. Extra bonus points, okay? Um, and Levi and his people, his specific tribe, were a very special tribe, because they were unlike any of the other tribes of Israel, because they were called out specifically to be Israel's priests, which means they stood in between the people and God. So they listened to what God said and told the people, Moses was a Levite, 
okay? Uh, told the people what God had said, and then he would hear the, the words of the people, and they would speak them to God. But you see, the Levites uh, had to be extra clean and extra holy, because the thing was, is God was so holy, like the, like the sun condensed, and if you tried to walk on the face of the sun right now, what would happen to you? Okay? Um, so just like that, if the, if the priest had any uncleanness in them and they walked into the holy presence of God, okay, um, so literally they would die. It's not a joke. Um, <laughs> so Levi were meant to be the holiest of holy people, right? They were meant to keep God's laws and to trust him fully and to be good examples of what it meant to follow God. Man, most holy what a joke when you're a tax collector. Oh, I can't be lost on Levi of what his name was and what his occupation was. You see, a tax collector's whole occupation is basically based on breaking the Ten Commandments. Okay? So, greedy? You need more money? No worries. Just lie about the amount that you're supposed to tax people, uh, steal off the top, give the rest of the government, and technically legally rob everybody you know. That was his whole job. It was full of corruption. It was full of lying. It was full of swindling. And this is the way he made his money. This is the way uh, he uh, got through his day. Imagine uh, in your neighborhood. You know how they have, like, neighborhood watch? Does anybody have neighborhood watch? You're like... It's a secret society. <laughs> or I don't know. Maybe you have like an HOA. Okay, what if in your neighborhood, at the very like entrance of your neighborhood, like one of your neighbors set up a booth and you had to pay them like a toll road every time you entered and left your neighborhood? You'd be like, this is awful. This is not legal. And so then you call the police and the police is like, no, you got to do it or else you're gonna be fined extra. You're like, what? Imagine if you had to pay every time you had to leave the neighborhood and it was a different amount every time. Like Thursday it was a dollar, but now it's $5 and tomorrow it's like seven. You're like, what is happening? Right, I think the like great grand American in us would just be like, this is not legal, right? And uh, it's really not. And this is exactly what was happening. Like Levi had the support of the Roman government to be a swindler and a liar to his very neighbors, meaning like his friends, you know, his grandmas, like knitting buddies, you know, like they were all <laughs> at his expense. Levi basically became a complete traitor to his people. Not only did he forsake the holiness of God, and the, but he forsake the allegiance to his people, and he followed his greed to align himself in selfish gain with the Roman Empire to extort his own people. Levi, the tax collector, what an irony. Most holy, most corrupt. Man, can't imagine what he'd be feeling as he maybe heard the words of Jesus. And, and finally, Jesus, the prophet, finishes teaching, and the people begin to disperse. And it's like, um, like when you drop like water on like a crowd of ants, you know, and they like all like run around it. It's just like, it's like the tax booth is right here, and they all just like, whoop, like, whoop, I'm going to avoid the tax booth, oop, I'm not going to look at Levi, oh, I just, I'm not going to pay the toll today, like, oh, maybe if I just like swam home, like, it'll be fine, right? Like, they're doing everything they can uh, to avoid him, possibly, and then the crowd parts, and there's one person who didn't just pass by to pass by him, but passed by directly to him. 
Verse 14 says, And as he, Jesus, passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax booth and said to him, Follow me. This teacher, this prophet, Jesus, didn't avoid him or look the other way, but walked straight up to him. Oh, man, I bet he was shocked. I bet Levi was completely shocked. What would Jesus want to do with a man like him? Let alone make him a follower. I mean, at this point, there's a significant thing happening in Jesus' story because he's just called four of his disciples uh, just previously as Andrew, Simon, James, and John. Matthew's the next one he's going to call. This is a significant moment. Why would Jesus choose this tax collector? But I bet Levi knew it was his chance to turn around, to leave it all behind. Man, if this man Jesus could heal the sick and the blind and the paralyzed, maybe, maybe, just maybe, he could heal Levi's heart as well. So leaving everything, he followed Jesus. And not only did he follow, check what he did next. He took all this wealth and pomp and money that he has, and he threw a huge party. Look at this, verse 15. Uh, he, rec- uh, he reclined at the table in his house, and many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Luke talks about he threw a feast, that's what it says. So he took all this money, and he threw a big, big, big party, um, because not only was he turning to Jesus, uh, but he wanted his friends to as well. We see in this first chunk of the story that the sinner turns to follow Jesus. The sinner turns to follow. To turn, to turn another direction. If you've been in any of the baptism classes, you know this. It means to repent. So when Jesus calls and says, repent, believe in the gospel, Levi responded. He repented and he believed and he turned to follow Jesus. It literally meant leaving what he was doing. Levi would be giving up everything. I mean, we have to read between the lines here, but we can see the faith that Levi had to follow Jesus. He just gave up a very wealthy job, a stable job, is unemployed, uh, perhaps soon to be homeless, because eventually the money that he has runs out, especially if you're throwing a big party. Uh, He might even be, like, hunted down by the government. Like, he's a government employee, and he just quit his job. And yet, with all of that, he chooses Jesus above everything. I mean, some of us had a heart attack trying to give up our phone for four days at camp. Levi gives up everything because he knew it was worth it. Levi knew his heart was sick and he needed Jesus to heal him. But here's the thing. Levi also knew a lot of sick people, (laughs) right? He worked with broken people, corrupt people. All his buddies were tax collectors. And so he can't help but tell everybody about this Jesus who can heal them. And so the sinner who has been forgiven can't help but share the good news. So he invited all of the tax collectors and all of the sinners that he knew and said, hey, We all suck, but this guy can help us. Like, he can heal us because what we see today in this story is that Jesus came for the needy. Jesus came for the needy. And man, Jesus did not make a snap decision about Levi when everybody else did. And you know what's cool about this? Is not only did God forgive Levi, but he redeemed him and gave him a new life. 
Levi is also known as Matthew. Matthew the apostle, who also wrote the gospel of Matthew. Imagine, imagine if Jesus chose to have our eyes and walked right past him. But Jesus sees with different eyes and he's come for the needy. So Levi coming to realize his place of need and desperation um, is what is exactly what brings him to Jesus to find healing and forgiveness. And what we're going to find out is it's those who are the needy that find Jesus. And it's those who don't believe that they're needy that completely miss him. So we have a couple verses left in our story here. And we have one more set of characters to meet. Here we go. Mark 2, 16. Verse 16 says, And the scribes of the Pharisees, some say the scribes and the Pharisees, a.k.a. very smart religious They know the Bible by the back of their hand kind of people. And the scribes and the Pharisees, when they saw that he, Jesus, was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? That's how I imagine the Pharisees talk. And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So there's another set of characters in this story who have been watching Jesus and this whole crowd for a little bit. Uh, and these guys are just, the, they consider themselves the opposite of needy people. They've got it together. Uh, and you know, unlike Levi, they spent their whole lives making sure that they never break the Ten Commandments and the hundreds of other ones that they made up. These guys are excellent rule followers, and they have studied the scriptures a ton, and they know it a lot, right? And they have always done the right thing. They have always been the good Jewish Sunday school, Sabbath school? No, they don't do school on Sabbath. Anyway, uh, they've been the good Jewish kids from the start. Uh, They've made their family proud. Uh, In fact, they might as well be Levites because they're just super dang holy, okay? That's who these Pharisees are. Uh, And they are not only concerned that they keep all the rules, but they're also very concerned that everybody else keeps all the rules, okay? They make sure everybody stays in line. So they're extra, extra angry about this random prophet that shows up into town and claims to be doing things that only God can do. So in fact, the story before this, um, it's actually kind of really hilarious because, does anybody know the story of the, the paralyzed guy on the mat? Yeah, let me summarize it really quick for who hasn't heard it, okay? Uh, Jesus is teaching in a room. Whole room is crowded. Uh, and there's a paralyzed guy who can't move, and his friends are like, we got him to Jesus. So they climb up on the roof, cut a hole in the roof, because that's what you do. And you let him down. He let him down on the mat. Okay, so they went through all this extreme measure to get this paralyzed guy in front of Jesus. And you know what Jesus says to him? He says, you're forgiven. If I was a paralyzed dude, I'd be like, I am paralyzed. (laughs) What? Right? Jesus says, you are forgiven. And the Pharisees get all like like a cat that's like in water. Right? They're just like super mad about this because only God can forgive sins. Only God can forgive sins. And even then, it has to be in a certain way with a certain sacrifice at a certain place and only the priest can make it happen. Like forgiveness is not something that just to be handed out. And they get super riled about this. And Jesus says, oh, you think it's uh, too hard to forgive sins? Well, let me heal this guy too. Get up and walk. And the paralyzed man gets up and walks. And these guys are just, they're livid. 
this Jesus is breaking the rules. And what we really see about these Pharisees is that they're way more concerned about the rules and their theology than about compassion and mercy. And this is his greatest critique uh, of the Pharisees. But lo and behold, in this story, the Pharisees are walking through town again. I really want to know how they stumbled upon this because if they're really upset that like Jesus is like hanging out with tax collectors and sinners, how are they there? But that's another question for another day. Anyway, lo and behold, they find Jesus hanging out with the worst of the worst, the sinners. Uh, this somebody like who can claim to be God and doing God's will, how could he be hanging out with this trash, with this rabble? Verse 16 says, and the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with sinners and tax collectors? You see, they didn't care about the mission of Jesus, the compassion. They just realized that they made a snap judgment of these sinners and of Jesus and that Jesus was doing it wrong. I think it's easy when we read the Gospels to like really scoff at these Pharisees, like, so blinded, right? And uh, I mean, really, who could blame them, right? Uh, we're all a Pharisee in one way or another. Uh, it would be like if you were to walk past downtown or maybe like past one of these like homeless camps around Vancouver and you saw like one of your youth leaders just like kicking back by the fire next to some guy who's smoking who knows what. And it's like, hey, come meet Randall. This is my new buddy. You'd be like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, you'd be so shocked and so surprised. Uh, and, and I mean, it's kind of the same effect as, as they see Jesus hanging with these people. And we've all done what Pharisees do, right? We've all looked at someone and assumed their lifestyle. We've looked at something they're wearing or a tattoo they have or something that like they like, I don't know what team they represent. I, we, they, we all make snap judgments uh, about people based off of, of something that we see. And the fact is, is like the Pharisees aren't, they aren't wrong. Jesus is hanging out with sinners. Um, but here's where their snap judgment does go wrong. The Pharisees, used the sins of others to compare them to themselves to prove how righteous and good they are. They said, oh, I'm not like this person. I'm much better than that. And they actually would use sinners to justify themselves. And they used it to not have compassion or to be Christ-like. You know, they would never do what Jesus did because they relied so much on their own standard of righteousness that they were too righteous to have the compassion that Jesus did. You see, where Levi saw Jesus and turned to follow, the Pharisees see Jesus and they turn their back. They turn their back on the mission of Jesus. They turn their back on Levi and the other tax collectors, they refused to repent and believe in the gospel. They missed the mission of Christ. And Jesus makes it clear. The final statement is the whole point of this small story. And it's when Jesus speaks again. Verse 17, he says, And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick I came not to call the righteous, 
but the sinners. And we get this metaphor. It's easy. If you have a broken arm, like if you fell off that balcony, it'd be really bad. Uh, if you fell off that balcony and you hit the ground, you'd be like, I'm good. We'd be like, you're not good. Your arm's like doing this like weird thing where like it's hanging off. I'm like, I'm good. You're like, no, no, you're not good. Right. And you refuse to go to the hospital. You can't be healed. You can't be fixed. We can't put your arm back on <laughs> if you don't admit that it's broken, right? And here's the irony of their situations. The Pharisees are just as sinful as the tax collectors. In fact, with the same sins, they're equally as greedy for gain. Uh, and that's another critique Jesus has on later is like what they do with the offerings to the temple. They're just as greedy for gain. They're just as self-absorbed. They're just as arrogant. And they're equally deniers of God. But their arrogance, in their arrogance, they can't admit that they are sick and needy and that they need healing from Jesus. See, Jesus came for the needy. And those who don't realize they're needy miss Jesus. You see, there was a lot of crowds that followed Jesus, but Jesus can discern the thoughts and the intentions of our heart, both of the sinners and of the Pharisees who are also sinners. And you know, in our lives, there may be a crowd of people who follow Jesus, but it's not our job to discern if someone is a sincere Christian. It's our job to discern if we are a sincere Christian. And as we sit here tonight, both of these people are in the room. There are some sinners in the room. <gasps> yes. There are sinners in the room. And you know that you are needy. You know, and as I talked about Levi uh, and it's the shame he must feel with the conflict of his name and his occupation, you know, and how he is wandered away from God and the sin that he chose daily. Uh, maybe you can relate. Maybe you once uh, were near to God and feel uh, like a wanderer like Levi. Or maybe you, you've wondered if you've gone too far and Jesus can't really love you. Know that from this story, Jesus came specifically for you. And it's exactly your confession as a sinner and of your need that qualifies you to be with Jesus. I want to encourage you today, if you're kind of in a place where if you feel like Jesus walked in the room and you like were like, I cannot look at him right now. Like, I need to swerve Jesus, right? That he is coming through the crowd. Imagine him. Come, breaking through the crowd, coming straight for you and saying, follow me. Repent and believe. I love you. And here's the thing. If you are forgiven, if you are a sinner forgiven, like Levi, who after he followed Jesus said, I gotta throw a party. <laughs> this is the response of people who are forgiven and it's time to tell other people about it. Uh, who, like Levi literally was like, I gotta throw the biggest party I know and I gotta get everybody around this table and they all gotta meet Jesus, right? Because the, the life that he had, the healing that he had, the freedom that he had of being forgiven, it was a natural response. And so it causes us to wonder, 
If I am forgiven, if I truly believe that Jesus has changed my life, then who am I inviting to the dinner table? Like, who am I bringing to hear Jesus and to meet Jesus and to talk to Jesus? Who in my life or my family or my school or the people that I see regularly, how can I invite them to the table to meet Jesus and tell the needy people around us of the hope that this needy person has, right? So sinners in the room, uh, if we are forgiven, we are called to tell. But there's also Pharisees in the room. Who, by the way, are also sinners. So it's a catch-all category. <laughs> Here's a question. How do I know if I'm a Pharisee? When you think about sin, like when you hear people talking about sin, like, oh, yes, I'm, I'm healed from that and whatever. If you kind of have this thought of like, you know, I really don't know if I um, uh, I'm, uh, like sin that bad. You know? Like, I mean, I stole a cookie from my brother yesterday, but it's really not that bad, right? If you think, man, I, I'm just, I'm really not that bad. I'm actually pretty okay, you know, as far as sins go. You know, I, and if you find yourself like comparing righteousness of like, dude, that guy? I saw what he did after school. I'm totally not that bad, okay? Uh, if you find yourself avoiding certain people because of the way they look or because uh, of the way they act, maybe you came in today and there are people today that you were like, I'm not going to look at them. I'm going to avoid them. If you, uh, uh, if you identified with any of those situations, you are a Pharisee. Because <laughs> you know why I know that? Because sometimes I'm a Pharisee too. And here's the thing, I have a strong warning for those of us who have grown up in the church uh, because we're at most risk to be Pharisees. Uh, to offer snap judgments or to be ex- exclusive about who belongs here, like, that person should not be doing that during musical worship. That's clearly not what we do here. They don't belong here. Or that person uh, has a nice-looking Bible that's not beat up. They obviously don't read it, Right? like Pharisees those of us who look the part have simply figured out how to hide our sins better and news alert if you don't already know this room is full of sinners everybody is a sinner and here's the thing we should expect to see more and more and more and more sinners coming into this room I want you to see people that if they walked in here you'd be like because guess what you're a sinner too, okay? Like, I want this room to be filled with people uh, who, who need Jesus because Jesus came for the needy. He didn't come for people who were like, I'm good enough, I'm just doing this church thing to show everybody that I'm good enough. He came for those who were broken and who were needy and who realized that their sin was killing them and they needed someone to heal their heart. If we really believe the gospel, and we do believe it here, we believe it, but if we're gonna believe it in action, then we gotta know a couple things. That one, I am sinful, okay? And I am just as in need of grace and of Jesus. And if you can realize that, if you can realize how desperate you are of grace, then you are more likely to give grace to those around you. If you find yourself in a place where you have a hard time giving grace to people, like it's time to take a moment and say, God, do I believe that I need grace? Do I really believe that what I've done deserve death? 
Secondly, we can expect all kinds of sinners in this room. This should be a place where like, it's okay to be a sinner, right? Where you don't go to a small group and be like, I did this sinful thing. And everyone's like, <laughs> no, we're all like, yeah. Man, Jesus came to heal you. This is a place for healing. We know the good news and we should be so bold about this being a place for needy people. If in the next few months as we come into the school year and people uh, begin to invite their friends from school and you see someone, you begin to make a snap judgment, I want you to go, they're in need of Jesus and I want to be a conduit of grace. Jesus came for the needy. And so just like Levi the question stands to you, how will you respond to the call of Jesus to repent and to believe the gospel? Will you follow him? And as a sinner saved by grace, tell others about him? And will you be a conduit of the gospel for those who walk in this room or who you meet in your classrooms or who you see in the world? May we turn our eyes <laughs> off of our human eyes and see people the way Christ sees them, and sees that he came for needy people. Jesus came for the needy. I'm going to take a moment, I'm going to pray, and the band's going to come up here. Um, I want you to really consider in your mind, close your eyes, close your eyes, close your eyes, which character in this story that you are. Are you the sinner who now can turn around and tell others about Jesus, like Levi? Or do you find yourself being a Pharisee, making judgments about who and who can't come to Jesus? All of us are called to repent, confess our sins. And I pray that you would do that tonight. So as you think about, honestly, where you're at, let me take a moment to pray for us. <clears throat> Lord God, I thank you for true stories like this, where we see Jesus in action. God, I thank you for Jesus. God, I thank you that he did not see uh, with human eyes, that he did not see with greedy eyes, that he did not see with um, eyes that was just selfish for fame, God, but that he saw people like the lost sheep that we are, that he saw people for the needs that we have. God, I thank you that when you look upon this room and you look upon us, um, you're not blind to our neediness. God, you're not blind to our sin. You see uh, the, the depths of the help that we need. And God, yet you don't turn your back away in shame, but because of Jesus, you come after us. Lord, I thank you that Jesus... Uh, broke through the crowd to find a sinner in need of grace. And I thank you that you have, for many of us in this room, broken through our lives and encountered us as a sinner in need of grace. And we pray, Lord, that every day that you would help us to be okay with the fact that we are needy and we depend on you every single day. I pray that we never come to a place where we feel like that we've got it. 
because then we've forgotten that we need you, Lord. I pray for those in this room that uh, maybe have been avoiding Jesus, afraid of what he would say or what he would think or what these church people would say. God, I pray that they would see Jesus as the compassionate one coming to heal him. God, would you heal our hearts? God, we are so sick with sin and we are so blind to it, Lord. Would you open our eyes? Would you heal our hearts? Lord, and I pray that citizens would become a place where it's just about Jesus. God, I pray that it's not about any of our hobbies or our uh, sports or the way we look or the things that we say or what school we go to, or any of that. God, I pray that we would just be about Jesus. And I pray that when people walk in this room, uh, they don't see groups and cliques and places where they're trying to fit in, but they would see a family of people who are opening their arms with grace and acceptance and love that they might know and experience the love of Christ. Lord, help us to turn to you in all things. Repent of the ways that we have turned aside and we choose to believe today that you have given us grace, that you have forgiven us, and you have given us the ability to show grace to others, Lord. Give us your eyes and your heart for others. It's your name we pray. Amen.